Hello and welcome to another edition of I'll Fix Your Toxic Wagon. My name is Tim Ryman, and once again, we're going to examine what real people are doing practically to take on some of the biggest issues we face in regards to our health, our regulatory systems, and the environment. Today, I'm thrilled to be speaking with the political director of Organic Consumer Association, Alexis Baden-Mayer. OCA educates and advocates on behalf of organic consumers, engages consumers in marketplace pressure campaigns, works to advance sound food policy, farming policy, all through grassroots lobbying. Um, they address crucial issues around food safety, industrial agriculture, genetic engineering, corporate accountability, environmental sustainability, which includes uh, pesticide use, and that's something we're going to talk a little bit about today, and other food and agriculture-related topics. Welcome, Alexis. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. And did I miss anything there? I gave quite a laundry list, so uh, <laughs> did I cover the bases? I think that covers it. Okay. Well, I have to tell you before we get started, um, you know, we at A&H are huge fans of, of OCA and all the great stuff you guys do. You've been doing great stuff for years, and as often as possible, we try to engage our members on the stuff that you guys are working on because it, it fits so well with some of the campaigns that we have. And we're just, we're, I just want to say that at the get-go, we're, we are fans of what you and your organization do. It's mutual. I love what your organization does as well. I learn a lot from what you guys are up to. Well, well good. That's, that's good to know. Um, so, Alexis, we're, we're sort of sitting at a pretty historic juncture in history. Um, we do this very typically in our democracy, and we do it peacefully, which is a great thing, especially this year. Um, but we're in the process of transitioning from one administration to the next. And I thought, you know, at this moment, we might talk for a few minutes about the current state of agriculture, um, something probably too many of us aren't haven't been thinking about lately. Everybody's inundated with COVID and politics and everything else. But we still need food and we still need good, clean food. Um, so maybe you could give us a snapshot of where things stand in regards to the regulation of deadly pesticides, glyphosate, dicamba, neonics, chlorpyrifos, those kind of things. Um, where do things stand, you know, as we move from the Trump administration into the Biden administration? Well, I'm afraid for a long time, the Environmental Protection Agency has not been doing its job. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has added to those problems because they've approved a lot of genetically modified crops that use um, dangerous pesticides. Dicamba is one that was uh Genetically modified dicamba resistant crops were approved by USDA before the EPA had approved the dicamba that they were used with. And, and dicamba is notorious for drift. It's notorious for killing non-target crops, vineyards, especially, of course, anything organic, but also non-GMO soy, non-GMO cotton. And so it's just created a complete nightmare. And so we have a regulatory system that's entirely broken. You know, that didn't start with Donald Trump, um, but he certainly did not do anything to fix it. Things got actually even worse than I could have imagined. Um, but thankfully, I think I think the awareness around pesticides has grown to the point where we're not going to be starting back in 2016. You know, we've moved forward since then, and I feel like we're going to see some bolder proposals for how to fix our broken system. 
So what indications are coming out of, you know, with the appointments that Biden's making and sort of, you know, the the tone that is being set for the administration? Do you see this or do you look ahead to the next four years with optimism or pessimism? And, and what kind of opportunities do you see that exist to positively impact um, the policy related to pesticide use? Well, I think that as opposed to Donald Trump, Joe Biden is someone who cares about his public reputation when it comes to children's safety, human health, the environment. And so I think that we have an opportunity to sway this administration, but they are incredibly corporate focused. Um, Joe Biden is going to bring back Tom Vilsack to head the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Tom Vilsack was the USDA secretary under Obama for the full eight years. And since then, he's been working for the industrial dairy lobby. So he's no friend of organic. Um, he has not shown an interest in human health and the environment. But I think that this administration is going to listen to the public if we raise enough health. Which brings me to my next question. What role do you see for grassroots advocates? I mean, both of our organizations do the same thing, right? We go out, we try to educate people on the um, policies that are adversely affecting their, the health of them and their families. And then we try to get them together to, as you said, raise some hell and uh, motivate some action in D.C. So uh, what, what world, world do they have? Let's give a, a, a shout out to our grassroots folks and, and a, a little inspiration about how they can get involved in, in this fight. Um, what are the opportunities? What legislation might be coming that they can get involved with? Well, there's a bill that was just introduced for the first time in 2020 that is incredibly inspiring. It's called the Protect America's Children from Toxic Pesticides Act. And instead of um, going piecemeal and saying like, okay, here's a bill that addresses the neonics that kill bees. Here's a bill that addresses chlorpyrifos that is damaging for children's brains. This bill brings it all together and it would set up a structure whereby just about all of the most dangerous toxic pesticides could be banned. And this would include the organophosphates, the neonicotinoids, paraquat, um, a bunch of different things. So I think that this really has some promise. Um, the way that this bill works is it would strengthen the Environmental Protection Agency's authority under what we call FIFRA. It's the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, but essentially it's the, the law that regulates pesticides, their distribution, their sale, how they're used, what they have to say on the label. And it, this is going to make, this would make an incredibly huge difference. And not only would this bill change the EPA's regulatory authority, but it would also say something very commonsensical. If there's a pesticide that's banned in the European Union or in Canada, then we should immediately suspend that pesticide and immediately review its use. And so this would allow us to go after super dangerous pesticides like the notorious atrazine. Atrazine is a hormone disruptor. We know that it damages developing fetuses. It's polluting our drinking water, polluting the drinking water of millions of, Amer of Americans. And we haven't been able to do anything about it given our current regulatory structure. So, so this bill is really a great way to address the big picture and for us all to come together around a, a better structure of regulation and law. And can you give me the name of that bill one, one more time? It's called the the Protect America's Children from Toxic Pesticides Act. And um, 
It was introduced last year, as I said. It had five co-sponsors in the Senate and 23 co-sponsors in the House. The sponsors were Senator Udall and Congressman Nagus. And so we really have a good opportunity here. This is really the boldest pesticide legislation that's been introduced in a generation, I'd say. And so it was introduced last year. What's its current status and how can we uh, raise some hell about it? Yeah, well, now's a great opportunity because this bill hopefully will be reintroduced. So now's the time to contact both your senators. Everyone has two senators for your state. And then you have one congressional representative amongst 435 members of Congress. So it's like a big pool of people that we have to influence. And that's what makes it so important for every single member of each of our networks to develop a relationship with that office. Now it's actually, you know, with COVID, honestly, I didn't do a whole lot of lobbying last year um, because, you know, the world was changing and it was very hard to, to catch up with it. Um, I followed primarily the legislation for COVID relief and got a little bit distracted for some of our core issues because it didn't seem like any action was going to happen on them. But we're, we've got a clean slate now. Now's the time to, to make relationships. And because of this unique situation we're in, I see a really good opportunity for grassroots lobbying. You don't necessarily have to fly to Washington, D.C. to meet with your member of Congress or your senators. I think we can come together and do some really good grassroots lobbying online with the, the decision makers in these offices. So normally if you meet in your district, with your representatives, you're meeting with staff that's dealing with, you know, how do you apply for Social Security? How do you get veterans benefits? The staff that does constituent services rather than the staff that's making decisions on which bills are going to be co-sponsored, how the member is going to vote. Not that they make decisions, but, you know, providing the information to influence those decisions. So with with COVID and everything being online, Maybe we should have a direct relationship, everybody in the country, with these offices and the key staff members in these offices. I think it's a good opportunity. Absolutely. I love it. Love it. And I love your insights on that. And we'll make sure to put a link um, with an action alert so everybody can easily reach out. It doesn't require a whole lot of work here, but it does take a couple of seconds to fill in your data and, and submit that to your representatives. And I would also encourage every one of our listeners to check out, um, I'm assuming there's going to be some information on OCA's website about this legislation and lots of, and they have a lot of great campaigns that they're doing. So visit organicconsumers.org. That's organicconsumers.org. Um, the work is so important, um, and we're all in this together. We're all trying to clean up this great toxic wagon that we're all in, and so I encourage you uh, to visit OCA and, uh, and help to contribute to the work that they're doing. And, Alexis, I want to say thanks once again for the great insight uh, that you provided to our listeners, and thanks for taking the time. Wonderful. We really look forward to working with Alliance for Natural Health this year. It's going to be good. Absolutely. Thank you. So we're going to shift gears now to um, what is the highlight of every show for me. And I know it's the real reason that all of you tune in to listen. Um, I am happy to uh, welcome the man, the myth, the legend, uh, my dear friend from across pond, Robert Verkirk. 
Mr. Kirk, how are you, sir? Dr. Burkirk, I should say. How are you doing? Well, I'm I'm just great, Tim. What 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 an intro! But I've got to let you know, it is so fantastic. Uh, how many years yeah. have we been collaborating now? It's um, ten plus, 15, maybe twelve. Um, but it's it's great. You know, there are so many issues that we need to be working together with, and I think this issue on pesticides and what's happening with the environment and agriculture and our food is is one that we really need joined up thinking, um, particularly from the grassroots. Absolutely. I mean, because this really feeds into your background, right? I mean, this is something that you have been doing, and I know it's near and dear to your heart. Um, so let's uh, let's start there. I, w- I wasn't planning on starting there, but let's let's start there. I mean, so we've we've seen a moment of history here in the U.S., and Alexis and I talked about that. But History is always a snapshot of a p- bigger picture. So what, have you, what do you see as the bigger picture, because since you've been at this for a long time, in terms of the use of pesticides in agriculture and what that means to the environment of our individual countries, but also the planet as a whole? Well, Tim, I, I actually got into the idea of um, trying to protect what is happening in agriculture because of reading. It was actually initially Robert Van den Bosch's book, The Pesticide Conspiracy, back in 1981. Um, and um, and and. Then obviously I read the the absolute epic from Rachel Carson in 1964, Silent Spring. Yeah. So all of that, um, and, and then I was reading in the late 70s, Ecology magazine, you know, Goldsmiths magazine, and um, and and that's why I got into ecology. And frankly, I I, I spent um, most of my time until 20 years ago when I moved between the agricultural area and health care through um, setting up the Alliance for Natural Health. Um, I had been in the agriculture area dealing with pesticides and, you know, um, working to to have them removed where they were creating blatant harms both to people and planet. And, you know, the crazy thing is that we now have many more people on the planet we have done more and more damage to the environment. We are facing an absolute apocalypse in terms of what is happening outside, outdoors. And humans have become so disconnected from their natural environment, most people don't see it. So they may have heard that, you know, there's a, a pesticide, whether it's the neonic pesticides that are killing bees or glyphosate in the ground, that, that's leaching and creating God knows how many problems. And of course, people start taking concern when it's, um, starts to impact them and it turns up on their breakfast table. But the reality is that, you know, since 1970, we've seen a collapse of about 50% of insect populations and insect populations support nature. They are the most abundant organisms out there. Um, around about 40% of all insect species um, are now on the endangered list. So we've then wiped out the soil because of, you know, the fungicides and the herbicides we've been applying. So the, that, that soil microbiome is, is completely and utterly nailed. So we're using soil in agriculture just to support crops, you know, and we have to keep putting additives, more and more additives. So um, I think the good news is that people are waking up to the problem with their own health. And so when people start to understand the fact that they've got to look after their gut bacteria, 
it's not a huge intellectual jump to say, do you know what? You're taking food that keeps you healthy. And if that food isn't grown in an environment that also has a very rich living soil full of microbes, the whole system on which it depends can't work. So we, you know, we're at this point where I think there, people are really beginning to wake up. So we, we've got to move away from just thinking about free from agriculture, which is what the original ideas. I was a huge supporter. I was very involved in the organic movement. But organic is is in itself free from agriculture. It's just leaving out, you know, fertilizers and, and synthetic pesticides. So big ag could engage with that really easily because they just left some stuff out. So they grew a whole bunch of foods that they could put an organic stamp on that are actually not very healthy. Mm-hmm. What we need is we need foods grown in a regenerative agriculture movement. And the great thing is that the you know, OCA and other organizations like it around the world and in Europe and in the UK, soil associations I've um, been very involved with for, for 25 years, um, are right at the heart of that. This is the regenerative agriculture movement. If we can help people to understand regenerative agriculture and regenerative healthcare, put the two together, realize we are of nature, we are part of nature, we can actually deal with these two things together and we need to do it together because boy, we're in crisis. And I know we were going to try not to mention the C word, COVID, in this particular interview, but let's remember who COVID, what COVID is doing in the population. It is really focusing its attention as a virus on people who have underlying conditions, you know, basically that are a result of inappropriate diets and lifestyle. So, you know, we need a regenerative healthcare system that, that helps people actually become more vital and healthy so that their immune systems can work properly. Because if you have a really healthy immune system, you can handle this. Same applies to the plants. Put a plant in a really wholesome living soil in the right kind of environment tended to in a diverse habitat with all the various bugs doing the thing that they have been programmed through evolution to do. We can get really resilient plants that can be more drought tolerant, that can handle the changes in the environment we're, we're dealing with. So we've got to stop thinking all the time. There has to be some kind of technological solution. You mentioned um, that people are waking up, and while I, I think that's true, it's true to, in varying degrees in different places. I'm afraid because you know I, I one of my I love visiting Europe, and one of the reasons I love visiting Europe is that I love the food there. I love how clean certain things are and how different farming is done there. Quite frankly, um, and Alexis mentioned a bill that is hopefully set to be reintroduced into into Congress here in the U.S., which essentially uses the EU as a model for what we do in terms of the regulation of pesticides. You guys have developed a much more stringent regulatory framework. The bill would essentially take your lead and say, this has been banned in Europe. We need to put a moratorium on this until we have enough data to either say this is totally safe or it's not, which seems sensible. But can you um, tell me the difference? Like, you, you know, so you've been working on the European side for a long time, and obviously you've made more progress on that side of the pond in terms of how you deal with pesticides 
Not that it's done perfectly, but it certainly seems a better model in, in terms of limiting our toxic exposures. So what is what has been the difference um, in terms of what, the way that the U.S. has gone and the way the EU goes and, and how might we all benefit from a, a change perspective? Tim, it all it all starts from the fact that if you put a lot of people on a small piece of land in which many countries are landlocked and you are sharing your water sources and your river systems, if you don't sort out what you're doing with really toxic agents like pesticides, you wipe everyone out, you make everyone sick. So the pressure to develop a regulatory system that, that is built around one of the principles that's driven um, the environmental protection you know, policy, really, is the precautionary principle where Wherever there is uncertainty, you take the particular measure that, that is likely to cause the, the, the least harm. Um, that's been the driver. So you have, um, you know, through, say, the so-called highest authority, scientific authority that is looking at these things in Europe, namely the EFSA, the European Food Safety Authority, you've got a really precautionary approach that works really well for potentially dangerous things. Um, that are measurably dangerous, like pesticides. I want to just talk uh, for a minute, if we can, about one of the things that this new bill does is it addresses the role that inert ingredients plays. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to, to note that because of the way pesticides, pesticide companies work with their public relations and the way they market their products, they give the assumption that all these ingredients are inert, which is absolutely not true. Um you know, the fact that glyphosate has been dinged in the federal courts pretty frequently lately shows that the, these things do have real harms. A lot of times people don't understand that those harms come from more than just the primary ingredients, that inert ingredients can have a as big, if not more, of a detrimental effect on public health. The, the situation with inert ingredients, whether you're looking at pesticides, vaccines or, or medications, is, is fundamentally the same. The, the, the architecture of the regulation that's been established has been built by industry because they know it's very costly to do um, active ingredient testing. So there's a whole threshold of data that's required to get something approved of as an active ingredient, whether it's a drug, whether it's a pesticide. So if you can then... Um, get a whole bunch of inert ingredients, call them inert, but you know they are absolutely essential to the functionality of the product. You just call them inert so you don't need to rise to that same data threshold. In other words, it's a cheaper way of circumventing the regulation, but it's expensive enough to stop the average person going out there and competing with you. So that, you know, that's, that's how the system has been created over time. And, um, like everything else on the planet that, that is not working so well, it's time to review that because you cannot look at glyphosate on its own. You've got to look at glyphosate formulations. One of the reasons that, that so many of these products in nature end up causing more harm than has been seen in the registration data, whether it's a pesticide or a drug, is because it plays out in complex biological and ecological systems in a very different way. Well, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to shift gears because some of this becomes overwhelming at a point. I mean, and 
you know, this show is about what can we do to fix it? And um, so I want to I want to talk about what you're hopeful about. You know, these these problems are vast. I'm encouraged by the fact that this legislation, as Alexis said, in the U.S. at least, is is possibly the um, the biggest legislative push in, in terms of having a real impact on pesticide use in the U.S. To me, that's a great positive thing. Obviously, this problem is much bigger than that, but this addresses an aspect of that. So I'm I'm encouraged by that. I'm 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 curious. You know, you have a a, a much broader knowledge of all of this than I do, which is why you're here talking to us. Um, and you certainly have a different perspective because you you, you look at the at the broader global picture. What are you encouraged by at this point in in our history? Because I got to tell you, man, we need hope, and I'm I'm all about the hope. So give us some hope, Rob. Let's end with some hope. So. You know, I, I think what we may have seen, and we'll only see this retrospectively in, in a few years' time, but we may have actually achieved the limit of siloed thinking, of being deep in our individual compartments where nothing is joined up. Because, you know, the great news is that once you start to join the dots of what happens in nature, when you stop um, accepting the fact that, that nature is to be exploited and not respected. And, and you start, you know, you, 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 you stop viewing nature as something that, that, um, is subservient to you. You, and, and you look at it as the teacher. Um, you start to realize that whether you're looking at human health, whether you're looking at energy systems on the planet, whether you're looking at how we're going to develop an agricultural system that, that, provides food security but gives people not just calories but you know really wholesome nutritious food that 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 carries information that that reduces the number of people ending up in hospital in the last you know one third of their lifespan and we start joining up all these issues um it's actually a change in the state of mind that you know if 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 more of us can do that we can start to help People in, in policy, people in government, people, um, um, elected representatives, the, the instrument that we, the people are meant to be using to, to have influence on the democracies that we supposedly live in. That will start to change things. We're, we're beginning to see changes in, in some elements within industry to this kind of systems, big picture thinking. And we're certainly seeing more and more people, um, out there who are saying, you know, none of this makes sense. You know, why would I go to the doctor and just get given a, you know, a Tylenol when I've got a, a grumbling complaint that clearly has an underlying reason for it, but, you know, and they haven't related to that. I know I'm carrying weight and they haven't given me anything at all that's going to help me get my metabolism back together. And um, and then when you talk to the dietitians, they're telling you to take something that, comes out of a, you know, a packet or a bottle or whatever, and they don't seem to know anything about nutritious food. And then you talk to farmers who, who are involved in large-scale agriculture, and, you know, all they're interested in is selling a product with, with, with the, you know, biggest possible profit margin behind it. So um, we got, we got to find some balance here. And I, I, I think the system is breaking down. You know, the system, the recognition that this – over specialization, this technocratic um, approach to life 
is is really not sustainable and and we've got to start becoming systems thinkers critical thinkers um and we've got to really begin to recognize the fact that nature kind of knows what it's doing we have a huge amount we can still learn from it um and um you know, if we're wiping it out through our actions, we've got to find ways of reversing that because otherwise it will just come back and bite us in the backside. And I believe what we're experiencing right now in the middle of this COVID pandemic is, in effect, nature biting us on the backside. And I think many, many people are waking up to that. Well, here's the waking up. I'm, I'm that that's that's encouraging. And I think you're right. I think we're we're seeing it as well with the feedback that we get with with our membership um, uh, as well. So, Rob, once again, as always, I want to thank you for being with us, for informing us with uh, and, and lending us your knowledge. And I'd like to thank everybody that's listening in for joining Rob and myself. I'd like to thank Alexis again. And uh, till next time, uh, I wish you all well. Thanks for joining us. And here's to cleaning up our uh, toxic wagon. Thanks, Rob. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah.